As Dan mentioned, this is the first in a series of three conversations about everyday Christianity. And what do you think of when you hear the term everyday Christianity? Does it mean something like ordinary or normal or usual? Does it mean practicing your faith every day? Or maybe it means bringing your faith to your daily routines. Of course, we practice our faith on weekends when we attend worship services together. And hopefully, we practice our faith every day of the week between the weekends. But a recent Gallup poll shows that most Americans believe they lose the connection between Sundays and Mondays. In fact, most of those surveyed reported that they do not practice their faith between their weekend worship experiences and the rest of the week. The subtitle, Faith at Work, with its ubiquitous and ever-present at sign, is a modern symbol, a symbol that has multiple meanings, especially for us in this context. We have faith at work, we work at faith, faith is at work in us, and we are at work in faith. And in today's world of technology, the at sign symbolizes the new forms of relationship we have created with each other. Today, we communicate with each other remotely, either by wireless telephone or online via the Internet. We connect remotely far more often than we communicate with each other in person. And consider the fact that Facebook has more than 1.5 billion users a month. Yes, that's 1.5 billion with a B, monthly users. This makes Facebook the largest nation or community in the world. So like it or not, social media like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and others are here to stay, at least until the next new technology disrupts and replaces them. But more important, they have become the primary method for relationship management in our culture today. So are these techno-relationship devices like mobile phones and social media like Facebook to blame for the disconnection between our Sunday thoughts and Monday behaviors? Well, maybe that's a part of it, and more on that in just a minute. But the connection between faith and work has been with us since the very beginning and is first referenced in the book of Genesis where it is written, The Lord God took man and put him to work in the Garden of Eden. And we also learn in Genesis that God created us in his own image. And he instructed us to exercise dominion over all living things as God's custodians on earth. And the value of work is a continuing theme throughout the New Testament also. Even Jesus worked. He did not come to us as a king or as a CEO? No, he first worked as a carpenter. And then he worked in his teaching and healing ministry. And he was accompanied by disciples who also worked. Some were fishermen, some had other jobs. He even invited a despised tax collector to join his ministry. And just as it was in ancient times, 
today work is still important to our culture. We often define ourselves by our work. One of the most common questions we ask of other people is, what do you do or where do you work? So what do we mean by work? Well, we simply don't mean a place of business where we go to get paid for doing certain tasks for a certain period of time. No, work, work can mean many, many things. Work can be paid work. Work can be housework, schoolwork, volunteer work. There are many types of work. And whatever work we are doing, our work can be fulfilling or drudgery, paid or unpaid, mandatory or voluntary, necessary or optional, rewarding or tedious, purposeful or meaningless. And most important, honoring God and serving our neighbor is and can be holy work. So what are the reasons for the gap between faith and daily life? Why is there a disconnect between Sunday Christians and weekday Christians? According to Michael Zigarelli, in a book he wrote called Faith at Work, Overcoming the Obstacles of Being Like Christ in the Workplace, there are many reasons why we do not apply our faith to our daily routines. One reason mentioned earlier is that technology has become an obstacle to human relationships. In fact, someone recently described Facebook to me as, quote, a great way to stay in touch with people, but without having to see them or talk to them. (laughs) Now think about that. And we've invented wonderful machines to make our daily lives easier. Garage door openers, dishwashers, voicemail, microwaves, washing machines, and so on. We can now even answer the doorbell and see who is there remotely on our mobile phones and without even being home. And yet the time we have saved by using these devices, we then devote to spending more time on other devices like computers and televisions and telephones and the increasingly larger screens on our mobile phones instead of spending this extra time on personal relationships. And if we're not using the screens for entertainment, then we are working harder and longer at whatever work we are doing because we have more time to work. Now, one exception would certainly be FaceTime. Some of you are familiar with that. It's a wonderful tool to stay in touch in long-distance relationships. Speaking with family or friends In real time on a video screen is an amazing technical development, and one that enables us to see and to hear and to talk with loved ones who live far away. But most of us would agree that using FaceTime is not the same as being face-to-face with one another. And according to this survey, what we do in our free and spare time also contributes to this gap. For some of us, continuing to work in our free time is primary. For others, leisure time is primary, and work is seen as a means to acquire free time for leisure activities. And how each of us uses our free time is also different. Some actually work harder at leisure activities than they do at work. Others prefer to do nothing at all in their free time. And yet some of us feel guilty about doing nothing, although we know that is exactly what God commanded us to do on the Sabbath do nothing. Today we have take-home work 
and housework and family activities and sporting events and so many other activities we value so highly and that we do on the Sabbath that interfere with our Christian day of rest. And perhaps not surprisingly, in an increasingly secular world, the practice of faith did not make the list of high-value activities around either work or leisure time. These studies also show that social pressures contribute to the gap between a weekend and a weekday Christian. And here's a few examples. Busyness. Not only the business of life, but the busyness that accompanies it. Our lives used to be lived around the family table, a place for meals and conversations about faith and life. Now our kitchens are drive-through restaurants, and we communicate the news of the family by texting each other. Another is mobility. We move around a lot. Not only do we travel more than any prior generation, but 20% of all Americans change their addresses every year, including both permanent and temporary residences. And we, have a fir- uh, we have a term for that here in the Midwest. Uh, we call these transient neighbors snowbirds. Debt is another factor. Financial pressures are often cited as a big factor in the disconnection. The American culture of home ownership and consumerism has caused significant debt burdens and the related pressures to work even on Sundays in order to pay for it. Arguments over money or the lack of it is one of the main factors for tension in families and for breaking up marriages. Another factor is commuting. We're spending more time getting to and from work or school or shopping than ever before. And so where to live is increasingly important and often poses a conflict between being close to work or close to school, yet being close to church is listed as the least important. Finally, good works. Even though the Protestant Reformation rejected salvation based on good works, we're still caught up in work in order to prove our worth and acceptability to others and to ourselves and even to God. For example, working hard to provide for yourself or your family is God-honoring, to be sure, as we are his creations. But there is always a danger of giving more time to work than to our relationships with God and with others. And do we really think our successes in life or at our places of work are because of our talents and our hard work? Or is it because God made it possible for us to be successful. Tom's father died when he was a little boy, and there's a moving story of Tom at his father's funeral, reaching into his father's casket as a four-year-old, shouting, Daddy, Daddy, wake up, wake up. Tom and his brother were given up for adoption, and they were raised in Catholic orphanages. Tom soon developed a skill at quickness, He did everything first and fastest. Speed became his trademark. Eventually, Tom was adopted, and while God was a part of his life, he focused his efforts on money and popularity. By high school, he could not do much about the money part, but he did become very popular. And he dreamed of becoming an architect because he wanted to build things. So to earn money for college, 
He started a small business, and he worked very hard. 100-hour weeks. And his talent for quickness became a marketing strategy, delivering fresh-baked pizzas in 30 minutes or less. And decades later, Domino's Pizza made Tom Monahan a billionaire. As the money poured in, he lived out his newest dreams, private jets, yachts, helicopters, expensive homes, luxury cars, even $12,000 wristwatches. He built a 2,500-acre private golf retreat, a $2 million personal office, and a 20,000-square-foot custom home. He even bought the beloved team of his youth, the Detroit Tigers. Now, Tom's story is a real rags-to-riches story, to be sure. And Tom gave generously to the church and to charities. He became a national leader for pro-life issues. He did many, many good things on the outside. But as he admits, on the inside, he had never surrendered his life to God. As he names it, his heart was hard, and his extravagant living reflected that until he read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Regardless of his good works, Tom realized that his God was not the God of Jesus Christ. No, Tom's God was Tom, his reputation and his empire. Tom said, and I quote, I realize I had more pride than anyone I know. I'm the biggest hypocrite there is. Do you remember the story of the golden calf? You know, the one where Moses is up on the mountain speaking with God about the Ten Commandments, and he leaves his brother Aaron behind to keep an eye on things. And Moses is gone a long time, and the Israelite people are pretty concerned he's not coming back. So they tell Aaron to make them a god. And Aaron, who's very concerned about his popularity, decides to comply. And he makes a beautiful idol made out of gold. And when Moses finally returns from Mount Sinai, Aaron shows him the golden calf that he made for the people to worship. And of course, things do not go well from there. But what is the golden calf in your life? What is the golden calf in your work life? What besides God or in place of God do you worship or workship? Is it the corner office, the job title, the number of employees who work for you, the size of your revenues? Or is it the big house, the big car, the second home, the big bank account? These golden calves exist because we think they will make us happy. But we know in our hearts they cannot. You will remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he gave his eight blessings known as the Beatitudes. And his very first Beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A poor in spirit is sometimes a confusing phrase, but it means to be humble before God and to accept God's rules and to surrender to his plan for our lives. It means to put his will first and our will second. And I will be the first to admit to all of you, as a practicing Christian, 
I have not always put God first when it came to my family or my career, nor have I always modeled Jesus in my relationships as a husband or as a father or as a brother or as a colleague at work or as a student or as a volunteer. God still has a lot of work to do in me. But poor in spirit means that God is the real boss. He's the one you work for. He's the one you should aim to please in every task you undertake and in every encounter and interaction you have with his people. The first beatitude means you should work to your potential, even though you might be underpaid or passed over for a promotion or exploited by whoever makes the schedule. It means that no matter how busy you are, you put your faith and your family first before your career. And it means not worrying about what your co-workers think of you. And it means forgiving that infuriating co-worker who seems like the poster child for original sin. For the grocery store clerk, it means smiling at everyone on a busy Christmas Eve. For the secretary, it means answering the last call with the same enthusiasm as the first. And for the manager, it means putting people before profits and to act as a steward, not an owner of the financial capital that God has entrusted to you. Because when you are poor in spirit, you no longer work for some company. You no longer work for a paycheck. You no longer work for the benefits or the promotion or the acclaim. You no longer work for a foreman or a supervisor or the CEO or the shareholders or any person. You work for the one who created you, and you seek to honor him in everything you do. And Tom Monahan learned that lesson. He said, quote, None of these things I've bought, and I mean every one of them, have ever really made me happy. So anything I've got that gives me pleasure only for selfish reasons, I'm selling. And sell he did. He sold the helicopter and the yacht and the plane and the radio stations and the golf retreat. He even sold the Detroit Tigers. The Wall Street Journal called it an extraordinary renunciation of material assets. And he gave most of the sales proceeds to the church. And then he sold his company, completing his transformation from executive to philanthropist, from being rich in pride to being poor in spirit. From living for what others would say, well done, to living for what God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And now let me share a few action steps that we can all take as Christians to live our faith every day. First, to be ministers to all. To be ministers to all means that we are all members of the priesthood of believers, that we are called by God to do His work, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so we are instructed to go out into the world and to do the work of the Lord. And this work needs to occur not just on weekends, but in our everyday lives, at our kitchen tables or boardroom tables, and on the planes, trains, and automobiles of our lives. And we, the church, can always do more to honor and celebrate your hard work 
and successes. Because your success in business or in school or as a volunteer or in raising a family, these are all forms of God's ministry. And as servant leaders, we are called to create personal relationships with all God's children. And we are judged by how we make them feel about our relationships with them. And when you succeed at these things, then you're using the gifts that God has given you. And in so doing, you're honoring God by working his fields and doing his work for his children. Second, to teach one another. It is said that the best way to learn something is to teach it. And the Gallup survey showed that very few Americans, especially very few Christians, read the Bible or other books about the Christian faith. The primary reason we give is our lack of time. Maybe our golden calf is interfering with our God-given priorities. Yet even those who say they do study the Bible and who do work to learn more about their faith express difficulty in relating or connecting what they learn to everyday life. This means that we in the church can do a better job of helping you share what you learn in your places of work and in your homes with your family and friends, and by engaging in conversation, whether in person or on the phone or online, whether with coworkers or family or whether one-on-one in small groups, these are all wonderful ways to learn more about everyday Christianity and to share that journey of learning in a supportive community of other learners. And it responds to Jesus' great commission to us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey as I have commanded you, to love one another. Third, to love and care for others. This is the most important task of all. As we know, Jesus was frequently challenged for teaching against the Scriptures by the Pharisees who were experts on the Jewish law. They also claimed Jesus violated Jewish law by working on the Sabbath when he healed a man with a withered arm. For this, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. But Jesus denied that he had come to do away with the Jewish laws. Instead, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And so it is with us. Jesus modeled his unconditional love of all God's people, believers and non-believers. He ministered to the poor and the wealthy, the sick and the healthy, the weak and the powerful, the oppressed and the oppressors. His final commandment to love one another is not just to love ourselves or the people we love the most. Jesus also calls us to love the most difficult people in our lives. Annoying co-workers, dysfunctional family members, overly needy friends. The law of love is the foundation of all relationships and all ethical decision-making in our faith. The law of love is our ministry. And for whatever the conflicts, whatever the obstacles, whatever the troubles we may face in this life, we have Jesus' eternal promise and assurance that surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father God, our Creator and Savior, help us to remember who we work for.
Help us to live every day as Christians, living by the example set by your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your help in continuing the connection between our thoughts of you on Sundays and our behaviors on Mondays and every day of the week. We know you love us, and we know you are with us always. Help us to show our love for you by showing our love of all others in all that we think and say and do every day. Amen.